Guys, it's great to see you. I think um, you know, we've been thinking for a while, you know, since uh, since October 7th, you know, what we can do, you know, for our students who aren't with us uh, in the yeshiva. And, uh, you know, I think we you know, you know, bounced around a couple of different ideas. And, and one idea that came up is maybe just to spend a small amount of time together uh, connecting Rabin and, and Talmidim, just to share, you know, a few uh, short thoughts, relatively short thoughts that uh, can give us a little bit of perspective, some, uh, some hopefully words of chizuk, and, uh, you know, we'll have a, a lineup of Rebbe's doing each of us, uh, you know, short, uh, short thoughts. And I think that uh, hopefully will be meaningful for you guys. And we'll be able to share with the broader community as well, the recording. Um, and at the end, Bezrat Hashem, so Rabini will go last. And anybody wants to stick on with the uh, stand with Rabini and maybe just schmooze and talk about what's going on in Yeshiva or what's going on in Israel. Um, you know, Rabini has, uh, has a lot of uh, information that he's been sharing within the Yeshiva and you know, with parents and things like that. So... Certainly, if uh, if that's interesting to you, uh, you know, feel free to, to stick around. Um, I'll I'll just share a, a brief idea. I you know I, I have this class I do with the Shana Bet guys during dinner on Thursday nights, and I've been doing the past couple of years uh, the Sichlos Mister of Chaim Shmulevitz from the Mir Yeshiva, and he's really like a classic. Uh, it's really like classic Moser Shmuz, honestly. I've been really enjoying um, learning that together with the Shana Bet because it's sort of like every Moser Shmuz that I'm like I've heard I think my whole life is modeled in the same basic style as uh, these uh, Sichot Moser, or I should say Sichos Moser. Um, so he talks about, in Parshat Chayesara, he talks about the idea at the very beginning, there's a Midrash that says, why is it that Sarah died, um, you know, at this point? I mean, what's the what's the juxtaposition between Akedat Yitzchak and the death of Sarah? And, and the Midrash tells us that there was, uh, she got this Bisorah, she got the news that Avram had taken uh, Yitzchak to sacrifice him. And that news was so overwhelming, was so shocking, that it, it literally killed her. That's the Midrash. That's what it really killed her. Perhaim Shalovitz asks, he says, there's another Midrash that tells us that Sarah's level of Nibuah was greater than that of Avram Avinu. So if that's the case, if we assume that's to be true as well, and that's a premise that Chazal are working with, so then why, when Avram gets the news, he almost, you know, he eagerly takes Yitzchak to Akedat Yitzchak, and when Sarah hears the news, she she can't handle it. So what what's going on there? What what's happening? And the and the the fundamental idea that Rav Chaim presents, he says, is that when Avram is presented with the task and the and the test of uh, Akedat Yitzchak, uh, the Torah eases him in, and it gives him um, several words to to ease him in. The Torah says, Kachna et Bincha. Et yichidcha, asher ahavta, et right? Take your son. And Bishraf says, Avram says, which son? Yechidcha, your only son. You know, I have two, I have two only sons, because each of them is the only one to their wife, the one you love. I love both my sons. And finally, Hashem says Yitzchak. And the idea there is that Hashem sort of eases Avram in gradually to the idea of this really shocking thing that he's about to do. And from that, Avram's able to accept it and move ahead and accomplish this uh, task and, and pass this test. And Sarah was not able to do that. According to the Mishrash, it was the Satan who told her about this uh, this event. And therefore, he told it right away. And when you're shocked by something, it's very hard to digest the information. And that's why it affected her differently. So what's the idea? So the idea there, the Yisod, according to Rav Chaim Shulevitz there, um, putting aside even the, you know, is this pshat in the psukim, which certainly is not, yeah. The idea is that there's a great lesson to be learned about the power of adapting. That we, when we have difficult circumstances, you're able to adapt slowly to a reality. 
And he points out that this can be for positive or for negative. I'll say the negative first. The negative would be, you know, let's say a, a person is uh, is exposed to something that they didn't, uh, it's not really in line with their values. But they're not being shocked by this thing that's so flagrantly against their values. Slowly, slowly over time, they're exposed to something, this, uh, this behavior that really doesn't match exactly with who they want to be. But, you know, it's a little step here, a little step there. And before you know it, you sort of, you know, you're, you're off the path that you really want to be on. Okay, and you can make your own analogies about, uh, you know, all sorts of challenges that life presents us, whether it's on college campus or, you know, in yeshiva, outside yeshiva, whatever it might be. But the, on the flip side, there also is this very positive element of being able to adapt to anything, which is even when really terrible things happen, there's, the, there's a very uh, indomitable spirit of a human being that the power of the human being is that we're able to adapt to very difficult environments. This is true you know, if you go tens of thousands of years ago in terms of, you know, adapting to literally different, uh, you know, like, the, you know, colder environments, warmer environments, being able to physically adapt. And it's true also when we have, you know, adapting to difficult situations. Sometimes a difficult situation is as simple as, you know, coming to yeshiva for the first time or going to college campus for the first time and meeting new people and having new classes and a new place you're living or you move to a new house, whatever it might be. That's, uh, and, and, you know, and at first it's really difficult, but slowly, slowly, you know, we're able to adapt and, and adjust to new realities around us. And I think that uh, this particular time, this, uh, this tragedy of October 7th, which I think was probably one of the most shocking things, you know, as the Jewish people we've experienced in our lifetimes, probably the most, um, there's a sense that we'll, we'll never be able to get used to that. And I think something, you know, with the perspective of six weeks, you know, that we've had since October 7th, I think in some ways, you know, I think there's a, a little bit of comfort, you know, in the sense that, you know, you're able to adjust to a new reality, figure out, like, how do we respond? What's the best way that we can, you know, be positive actors, you know, as uh, as members of the Jewish people, you know, to help out people in Eretz Israel, help out the Medina, help out our, help our fellow Jews, whatever it might be, anybody who's in, is in need. And we've been able to sort of adjust and figure out what's, what's necessary. At the same time, the challenge is, not to be, you know, lured into sort of accepting the, the reality of what this terrible tragedy and attack was. And that's, I think we're trying to balance those two things. And I think on the one hand, that's, uh, that's challenging and it's maybe difficult for us. And then I think it's empowering, you know, that we have the ability to face each individual situation, figure out in what realm we need to adjust positively, figure out, you know, how to digest the information, digest what it is that, you know, we have, we're experiencing and be able to handle that in a healthy, in a healthy psychological way. On the other hand, where, what areas do we have to be wary of accepting the reality around us, not to fall prey to that ability to adapt to anything is okay. And sometimes, no, it's not okay. And it takes uh, a little bit more, you know, a, a, you know, a, a little more uh, um, focus you know, to be aware of those situations that we want to be um, more um, more aware of and more vigilant about. And that, I think, is two things that we have to, you know, keep in mind. I mean, I've been thinking about a bunch, you know, over the past few weeks, and I pray that we're all able to uh, to find the proper uh, the proper balance for that. Okay, I will turn the uh, the floor over to, uh, to Rav Moish. I see he has joined us. Thank you, Rav Moish. No, thank you, Ravadi. That was, that was great. So uh, wonderful seeing you guys. And um, 
Maybe even more wonderful uh, singer in the bass. Got a chance to see Ruvain a couple of weeks ago. Shachar, so you're always uh, always welcome. We When we started the yeshiva, we always said, all right, there's a place uh, you don't come for a year or two, you come for your whole life. So please, we're looking forward to seeing you whenever you can come next. Um, for tonight, I just want to share a, a couple of lines from famous Gemara in Kedushin. Uh, many of you probably have heard it. You know, Memtet Amudbet, where it talks about Asara Kabim Chachma Yodu La'olam, that there are 10 measures of, of, of Chachma, of wisdom, that came down to the world. Tishan Atla Eretz Yisrael, Vachad Kol HaOlam Kula. Right? The, the, um, the land of Israel was taken, you know, took nine of these measurements of wisdom, and the rest of the world only got one. Um, so there were lots of ways of interpreting it uh, now. I will leave the, uh, you know, the uh, the discussion and the obvious uh, understanding of uh, social media and everything, how uh, we can get something and the rest of the world can't. But I want to focus on from our side. So Rashi says there, what is what does it mean by wisdom? Rashi said, was it really was Chachma mean? So Rashi says, Torah and Derech Eretz. So if you really want to see what Torah learning can be about, then you have to experience the Torah of, of, of Israel. And if you really want to see what Derech Eretz is about, then you have to experience the Derech Eretz of, of, of Israel as well. And, you know, but Israelis, we uh, we can seem so abrupt. You know, how can this possibly be true that Derech Eretz of Eretz Israel, you know, we, you know, customer service or when just meeting, you know, how could it possibly be uh, be so? Well, one answer that I would have given up until now, up until the Simchas Torah uh, war, was kind of like, give it time, right? The the Medina is only 75 years old. You know, look at other countries are having issues for generations and generations. Uh, look where the United States was 70 years after its founding, right? It was, uh, you know, uh, 75 years. It was in danger of falling apart. And then a few years later, it really was in danger of totally falling apart. And look how many nations of Mamash Kibbutz Galiot, if you come into, uh, you know, find out people from different nations, and just here in my neighborhood in Kochav Yaakov, where there are Israelis and a lot of Frenchmen, a lot of people from, from the States, and now I find out that there are a lot of people from South America, and that's just one microcosm of, of Eretz Israel. and we find people, Mamash, from literally all over the world who have made Aliyah, and how even though we're all Jews, to assimilate everyone and get everyone to, together, it takes time. And so what amazing things we've been able to do just to be able to be together. And that would have been the answer I would have been, um, that I would have given up until about six weeks ago. Uh, but now I would say, I mean, Mamish, it is, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before from lots of people, um, and you probably might hear it this evening as well, that how much of a shame it was to take a tragedy like this to come together but there is an achdut of Am Yisrael um, that you see you see all over the world, but you certainly see it here more than any other. You know, people who, uh, I, I can't imagine if anyone would make a minion in Tel Aviv right now that anyone would dare kind of like do anything but just say kolakavod or be a part of it. Um, you know, there were, I saw pictures on Facebook the first few days of the Milchama um, that uh, these uh, non-kosher restaurants in Tel Aviv that were, that were making themselves kosher so that they could cook food for chayalim. Um, I don't know if you've been uh, heard of, we had a wonderful, wonderful project just here at Araita. It's been going on in hundreds of places. The army's calling for 
hundreds and thousands of pairs of tzitzit, both because you get them dirty and chayalim who are from need it, but there's so many chayalim who, who, um, who are not religious, who are starting to wear. Eliezer, one of our maduchim from this year, uh, when he was called up in Tzav Shimon, he came back for 24 hours. So uh, they sent him back with a number of pairs of, tfil- of, of tzitzit. And he sends a picture on the WhatsApp group the next day, him and three other guys wearing the tzitzit of Araita. And I asked him, I kind of like, I don't know why, something I saw in the picture. And I asked him, tell me, are the other, besides you, are the other three guys in, in your machlaka who are wearing tzitzit, are they shomer mitzvot? He says no, they weren't till now, but they are now. They want to wear they they want to wear tzitzit, and mamish. A couple of days later, I was taking my daughter Eliza on a couple of errands in Yerushalayim. Um, at the time, she was staying at uh, the Shalom Hotel in Beit Vagan. Her whole yeshuv from down south had to be evacuated. Uh, that's for another story. Um, and I um, took her from some errands. She needed some things for the for for, for her baby. And we went, I took her also for shawarma. And I'm busy telling her the picture of this, uh, uh, the, the story of this picture and the story of how their chayalim who are wearing tzitzit who never did. And mamish, who comes in? is a chayal, and maybe it was his sister, maybe it was a girlfriend. And he's not wearing a kippah. And you know, kind of like uh, when you, for those of us like myself who have the minhag of tucking in our tzitzit. But sometimes you don't talk so well, and there's a couple of like you know strings of tzitzit that 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 come out, and that's what's happening. He's wearing it. He's wearing tzitzit, and he's not wearing a kippah. And so, if you really want to understand about derech eretz, about people coming back, like it's see, un- unbelievable what's going on right here, right now. Um, and so, also, the Gemara continues. Right, the Gemara says. There are 10 measures of beauty that were given to the world. And here, nine measures were given not to Israel. Now the Gemara mentions specifically nine measures of beauty were given to Yerushalayim and only one to the rest of the world. Now, as you guys know, and uh, you know, I travel a lot, and I've been to a lot of places in the world, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have been as well. And there's so many beautiful, beautiful places in the world. Um, that from a raw, you know, just physicality, a beauty point of view, you say, like, it's unbelievable. How could it possibly be? Was the Gemara saying that nine, 90% of the beauty in the world is only in Yerushalayim? And the answer is also, it's not, we're not talking about a physical beauty. We're talking about an inner beauty, a spiritual beauty, uh, that, you know, there is no such thing. When people come to Israel, as as wonderful as the cities of, let's say, Ranana or Haifa, or even Beit Shemesh are, you know, very few people, unless they have specific family in those cities, say, oh, I have to go visit Beit Shemesh while I'm in Israel this year, this trip. I, you know, I have to go to Haifa uh, to visit. But everyone says, I got to be in Yushalayim. I got to come. And Baruch Hashem, that we have such a city, we have such a place that it is. Um, Baruch Hashem, I have four children in uh, in the army right now. One was doing his uh, regular service. The other three were mobilized. And just in talking to them and what they're thinking about and what they're doing and the zchus that they feel of being able to defend Am Yisrael, the zchus that they feel about being able to defend Eretz Yisrael. I think that's what the Gemara is talking about, that we have this, that Yerushalayim like centers us in a certain way. Yerushalayim brings to us something that we just can't get anywhere else. And it's just, and Baruch Hashem, it spreads and permeates throughout Eretz Yisrael, throughout Am Yisrael, no matter where you are right now, 
And you guys are very lucky, Baruch Hashem. You were Zoha to spend time learning in a base medrash in Yerushalayim. But everyone is thinking about Yerushalayim right now. I mean, the rest of Israel as well. But everyone is thinking about Yerushalayim. Everyone is, is thinking about what was going on here. And so I think that also is, is what the Gemara is talking about, both in terms of wisdom, both in terms of beauty. And just one thing I'll mention for a minute or two, and then Rav Noam is going to take over. Sorry. So um, it's a tough time. It's a tough time, but at the same time, we're, and as Rav Adi mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, maybe the most difficult time in our lifetime, right? So I was born in 1972, so I was technically alive during the Yom Kippur War, but I don't remember any of it. And I fought in the, in, in the, in, in, in the Second Lebanon War, and I was in the Army in Lebanon when I was younger, but none of these can be, match the intensity of what Am Yisrael is going through now. And how lucky are we in a certain way, even though it's a difficult time to be able to live our values, to stand up for our values. There is a uh, very uh, big meme going around. I hope I got the description right. I'm using the word meme properly. Uh, it's not something, as you can tell, I use often in my language. Um, but there's a picture of a, of, of a candle, just a picture of a candle burning. And it says, if you ever wondered what you would do if you were alive during the 1930s and 1940s, you're doing it right now. Right, and then so in a certain way, how lucky are we to be part of Am Yisrael, and how lucky we are to be able to stand up, and when we, we we've been saying all our lives never again that we get the opportunity in a certain way, Rahman Litzlan that it had to happen like this, we got the opportunity to be able to say no, I'm here, I'm right now, and I'm able to do something, and Bezrat Hashem, I'm going to do something. So I'm going to hand it over to Rav Noam. Love to see you guys in the base medrash. Bezrat Hashem, one of these days. for putting this together. It's good to see you all. Uh, I would like to begin my, my remarks, Dafka, first with some practical advice. And then afterwards, I wanted to talk about some theological concepts, which I think are relevant. Uh, let's start with some practical stuff. The first thing is, you know, Israelis like to say, Yetov. And I, I, I have to be, I have to admit, I'm a little bit of cynical, you know, yetov, yetov, unfortunately, but we do have to believe that yetov, in other words, as difficult as things are right now, we have to think positively that things are going to get better, Bezrat Hashem, that's number one. Number two, when if you have feelings, thoughts, fears, whatever it is, talk to someone, talk to whoever that person might be. Right. Talk to friends, talk to family, talk to your roommates and call any one of the Rebbe's at all times. Of course, it goes without saying, talk to people about it and share your feelings, because that's a good way to get things off your chest. Hear other people's advice. Talk to Kaddish Baruch Hu. You know, tefillah is not limited to just the words you say in the Siddur. You can have your own tefillah. You can have your own things. Talk to Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that's the second piece of advice. The third thing is. You know, it's very rough. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, it, we're having a hard time right now. There's Everybody has got people in the army. I have, I have two boys in the army. I have a son-in-law in the army. Zilopashut. At the same time, it's good. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to relax and go do things. You don't have to feel guilty. Some people have told me they feel guilty. I How can I have fun? How can I do certain things? When I'm Israel and such a, I'm not going to pretend there are, in fact, halachic guidelines in certain areas, 
where it does say a person has to be shtatif for the entire of Israel Jewish people. I'm going to talk about that later on for sure. But it doesn't mean you can't do some sport. It doesn't mean you can't hang out with friends and do things which are enjoyable to give you koach. Because if you're in a good koach and having a, and, you're, and, and you're helping yourself, then you can help others and you can easier for you to do your bit for Am Yisrael. I said before, be positive. Reflect on the good that you have. Uh, don't take anything for granted. It might be words. It just could die to remind yourselves of that. You have a roof over your head. You have food. You have a loving family. That's not taken for granted. So many people don't have that. All over the world, we saw, unfortunately, many people have lost that amongst the Jewish people. You have something. Give thanks to Hashem. Be positive. Be happy. Appreciate what you have. Pick yourselves up. I, I read recently, I don't even know what it was referring to. I read some article. Maybe it was a TED Talk. I don't even know what the article is referencing. Um, that some well-known motivational speaker, I have no idea who this person is. I just read this somewhere. But it's an interesting chap. Some well-known motivational speaker who was, who was, who was disabled. And he was speaking on, on the stage or whatever to this people, to the group of people he's speaking to. And he said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to just throw myself to the ground and I won't be able to get up because he's he's disabled. He can't move around on his own. And he did. He just threw himself off the chair and he was like lying on the, on the stage and he crawled. He crawled to this, to this place where he could get a grip on something and he just pulled himself up hand after hand and got himself up. And then he said, if I can do it, you can do it. In other words, yes, there's there's times that we're down. But we need to be able to know that we can pick ourselves up. I want to talk about, though, another element, and that is the Muna Bitachon. And Muna Bitachon. So Rav Lichinson has a very interesting article about the concept of Muna Bitachon. And Rav Lichinson says, I mean, because it's easier to say have a Muna and have Bitachon, but what does it actually mean? You know, uh, uh, Melty might remember we did, we I tried to ensure to give some reading Shabbos reading about certain topics. I didn't. I don't think I did one on Muna Bitachon. But we we talk, we tend to bandy around topics and words and phrases. What do they mean? Is we mean like to define your terms? It's not a cliche. You really have to know what you're talking about. So I'll just very very briefly uh, in the time I, I I want to say two two three words about Bitachon. What does it mean to have Bitachon? So the Chazonish says I'm just I, I have I have the quote in front of me. I'm just going to translate this into English. The Chazonish says it's a mistake that many people think that Bitachon means that what that you have to know that anything that happens to you. Whenever you're challenged, let me turn my ridiculous I'm sorry, it's beeping. Um, the, it, so the Chazonish says, don't think for one second the mistake that people have. So many people think that the Bitachon means that when you are challenged, you have, you know it's going to work out well. It's going to be good. And if you think things might not work out, you're lacking Bitachon. And Chazonish says, that's ridiculous. Now, before I go on, there are opinions like that in Rishonim, okay? <laughs> Although the Chazonish gets upset at that, there are opinions that that is butachon. Butachon means that you have to believe that it's always going to turn out well. And he said, that's not what butachon is. Butachon is that there's no mikra in the world, everything that comes from Kaddish Baruch Hu, and no matter what. And things may not turn out well, but we have to believe in and those come from Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is what the Kada Kemach writes in this or in, in, in regarding this point. A person should always think, People are coming to kill him, or he has to transgress Torah. No, he's gonna he's gonna die, and he's willing to put himself on the line, and 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 that is what we say. The concept of even in a, in a difficult situation, I will always pray to God and always always appreciate. 
that I have a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Because that is the most important thing of all. Even when things are rough, I have a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch And that's something we have to remember. Yes, sometimes things may not turn out as well as we want. And if anybody asks, you're contradicting yourself, it's okay. There's, life is complex and 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 not 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 to, not to, not black and white. So that's okay. And even things things don't turn out well. You have to know. But Tachon is this is what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants, and I'm going to have my amuna, and I'm going to have my issue with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now I want to say something uh, uh, about taking this further. Further, this concept of being part of Kaddish Baruch Hu, recognizing Kaddish Baruch Hu, having a Kaddish Baruch Hu in life, even with when difficult times. Everybody's talking about. I'm sure you've. I'm sure you've heard this. Everybody's talking about the fact that the, what's amazing right now is the is the achdut that Jewish people have. The months leading up, ten months leading up to October seventh, there was such terrible division amongst Jewish people. Everybody's cursing each other out. You're a traitor. You're this. You're that. And everybody's talking about now. Everybody, there's achdut. So, I'm not sure we have the achdut as way as we need to have, but that's for another discussion. But I want to discuss something else. It's not just achdut that I'm looking for. But it's understanding and recognizing that I'm part of something bigger than me. I'm part of something called Am Yisrael. Okay? And that's the need you have to... It's not just we all love each other and let's have achdut and let's, we can agree to disagree and talk to each other in a normal fashion, which is obviously something an ideal that people should have, whether it's right and left, religious or non-religious in Israel. But I'm not talking about that, achdut. I'm talking about you, each one of you on this Zoom right now, with your friends, with your family, realizing that you're part of something bigger. It's not a question of do it with the other Jew. Realize you're part of something bigger called Am Yisrael. Okay? When Achan stole from the Shalal of Yericho, what was the words that Kadosh Baruch Hu told Yeshua? Chata Yisrael. The Jewish people sin. One person made a sin, the Jewish people sin. But the reverse of that, this, this past Shabbat afternoon, I was reading Sefer Shmuel. I was reading Shmuel Aleph and it's unbelievable. It struck me. Yonatan is in Perak Yudalid, Shmuel Aleph. Yonatan and his and his arms bear are going to uh, attack Plishtim in Michmas. There's they were ridiculously outnumbered. I'm uh, I'm not, not going to say the whole targil that Yonatan have. I don't have time. And when Yonatan realized that the Plishtim were not expecting his attack, he says the following. He says to his arm bearer, "Ale acharai, come after me, kinetanam Hashem biad Yisrael." It's Yonatan and his arm bearer, just two Jewish soldiers against a whole entire brigade of Philistines. What does Yonatan say? Not biadi, not in my hand, not in the hands of the Jewish people, not, not in the hands, excuse me, of me of my arm bearer, He understood that he's fighting for something bigger than himself, something called Am Yisrael. Rabbi Osai, that's what we have to feel. We have to feel part of something called Am Yisrael. That is our tough kid right now. And I'm telling you right now, I've been giving a series of shirim to, to Shana Bet right now in a Tanakh program, the Bikis program. And in Shoftim, one of they said, the message of Sefer Shoftim is that you need both. You need to act and you need Kaddish Baruch Hu. We need to act and do our own. Kaddish Baruch Hu will help us if we help ourselves. But we can't do it without Kaddish Baruch Hu. I have more stuff which I plan to say. I'll leave you with one story. I, I, and I know I, I, I have to be mucked on the time. I prepared the Rafadi whole bunch of stuff and I'm like, okay, 10 minutes. Okay, what can I do? But I'll tell you something. This past Shabbat, I was in Yeshiva and my wife was in uh, Midasharova, right? We didn't see the heart of the whole Shabbat. It's great, right? Baruch Hashem, you can't fight if you can't see each other. So, um, so, but I, I, I wanted to walk, to, walk over to, uh, to, to the Ropa for lunch. And when I was there, so there was a family, a bunch of families over there. And uh, one of the families had all their kids with them. And one of them was a daughter, a married daughter with her kid. 
and her, her, her husband was in Azah, and he came out Shabbos morning. I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's a psak right now, Rabbanim, that if you get on Shabbat, you go. Mamish, you go on Shabbat. Unbelievable. He turned up at the mule, put on a white shirt with his neshek and everything, and he told us that he mamish feels the shechina walking in the machane, walking in the camp. And Nisim and he flows of things that happen. A, 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 a mortar shell falling two meters away from his commanding officer, nothing happened. He said, how does that happen? How does that happen? He says, because of Tfilos. We need both. We need we need to take our, our, the initiative. We need to fight, but we also need a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And we need a Kaddish Baruch Hu means we need you guys. Anything that you guys see, I gave the, the advice I gave before, that's for you guys. But you need to learn. You need to daven because we need everybody right now. And the, the, the effort is on two levels. We have to do our bit. And that's the message of Shoftim. We do our bit. We need a Kaddish Baruch Hu. If we don't have a Baruch Hu, our bit won't succeed. And if we just sit in our tuchuses and pretend that Kaddish Baruch Hu look after us, that also won't succeed. We need both. So Rebbe said, "Biyachad bezrat Hashem, nasev v'natzliach." As Yoav says in Shmuel Bet, you know, chazak we need chazek ba'adamenu v'yad arei elokenu v'Hashem be'inav hatov yaseh. We should be strong bezrat Hashem, and Hashem will do what's right, and we'll do what's right as well bezrat Hashem b'tzidenu. Chazak, chazak we need chazek. Ba'atzlacha, guys. Amen. Thanks, Rabbi I'll turn it over to Rav Chaim. Shalom Aleichem, gentlemen, uh, wherever you may be. It's nice to see uh, all those who've joined us. Um, I just want to share with you, Bilshot Ravadi and uh, everyone who's uh, come before me, uh, just a beautiful idea. This parasha is Parshat Vayetze. And in Parshat Vayetze, uh, we begin the parasha with a lot of people don't notice this, but with a nevoah, with a prophecy. And the parasha begins, Vayetze Yaakov mibe'ershava vayelech charana, that Yaakov leaves be'ersheva, uh, heads out to Charan, and then it says, Vayifgaba makom. And Chazal explained that the makom that he comes to is none other then Har Moria, Har Abayit, Makom Amignash. Vayifgaba Makom, Vayalin Sham, and there he goes to sleep. Why? Kiva Shemish. And then the Torah tells us very famously that he takes from the stones of the place, Vayikach Meavne Amakom, Vayaseme Rashotav, Vayishkaba Makom Ahu, and he places them around his head, and he lay down in that place, Makom Ahu, in that place. Now Vayachalom, and he has a dream. And in the dream, there's a very famous dream, but this is not the part of the dream that is in Avua. This is a part of a dream that is trying, the Rishonim trying to decipher, but the Nevoah comes after this. And behold, and then the Torah says again, there are angels, celestial beings ascending and descending. And of course, Rashi in the name of Chazal says that's not the right direction. They should be coming down and then going up rather than up and then down. But then the next pasuk is very revealing. Because the next pasuk is what I want to focus on. Because at that moment, all of a sudden, the word v'hineh appears again. V'hineh and behold. Hashem nitzavalam. Yaakov Avinu is having a nevuah in a dream and HaKadosh Baruch Hu B'chvodo Ba'atzmo, the Holy One, blessed be He, in and of Himself, is standing there, over Him. B'nei Hashem Nitzavala. And God is standing over Him, and 
He says to him, he says, Vayomar, Ani Hashem, I am Yudkei Vavkei, I am Hashem, I am the unique God of the Jewish people, like the Kuzari says, that Yudkei Vavkei is the Shem Prati, it is the name that Am Yisrael call HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is unique for Am Yisrael, just like my wife calls me Chaim. And uh, I'm sure that Ravadi's wife doesn't call him Rabbi. She calls, only, my wife calls me Rabbi when I'm in trouble. But she probably calls Ravadi Adi. Why? Because it's a private name. Chaim is a private name. It's a name that shows intimacy, closeness. And at that point, he says, to Yaakov Avinu, who says in the Nevoah to Yaakov Avinu, I am Hashem, Ani Hashem, Elokei Avraham Avicha. To Avraham, your forefather, I was Elokim. I didn't reveal myself as Yudkei Vavkei as Hashem. Elokei Avraham Avicha, Elokei Yitzchak. And then he says, Ha'aretz, the land, Asher Atashochevalea, that you are, you are lying on, Lechaet Nena Ulezarecha, I will give it to you and to your descendants. And now, the Posuk says, in astonishingly dramatic terms, When your, this is the perush, when your seed becomes like the dust of the earth, then, then your descendants, Am Yisrael, will erupt, will burst forth to the four corners of the earth. And then the Torah continues, and through you, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and through your seed. Sephono, in a majestic comment, and I think so relevant to the matzav that we're in right now, says the following. Says Sephono, Vaya zaracha ka'afara Achar shiye zaracha ka'afara At that point in history, when your seed will become like the dust of the earth, what does that mean? V'zeh sheyu betachlita shiflut we will be so degraded, so persecuted, so hated. Then, as tifrots et kol gvulot ha'aretz, it will be then that you will break forth, you will burst forth to all the corners of the land. Asher that I give to you because you are lying on it, says the Yaakov Avinu. Mikol tzad, from all directions, to the north, to the south, to the east, just like he said, the Karkar in the book of Bamidbar, all the children of humanity will be your descendants. Because indeed, the salvation of the blessed, the Holy One, blessed be He, that will come in the future, says Rabbi Novad Yasafono in the 15th century. Will come when the Jewish people are degraded, but degraded so badly that you'll think that we are like the dust of the earth. 
They will be, we will be in our worst condition in exile. We'll never have experienced such degradation. Like our sages taught that if you see a generation where calamities come upon it like a river, wait, as it says, it will come like a river, but it will it will tighten out. It will ebb out. And then the Samichle, and then the Pasuk says, Uva Letzion Goel. The Redeemer will come to Zion. He says, says this nevuah, this prophecy that is given to Yaakov Avin, as he's dreaming of the ladder and as he's dreaming of angels ascending and descending, this nevuah tells of a time when the Jewish people are so persecuted, so hated, that it's at that moment, it is at the moment when we are like a father Alex, that's when we burst forth. If you see it happening, wait. If it hasn't happened yet, wait, because it will. We will burst forth and we will bring the Gula to Zion Berina, to Zion with great joy, and rejoice the world over. And Bezrat Hashem, please God, even though we are at a difficult time, we're all experiencing the horrific and the ugly rise of anti-Semitism and persecution and Jew hatred across the world. In the most, in the in the worst way possible, all that anti-Semitism that was swept under the rug, hidden under the table, all of a sudden it's come onto the table, in the disguise of pro-various various movements, pro-Palestinian, pro But there's Jew hatred involved. We're experiencing it. We're seeing it. I can't tell you how much I'm hearing of it. Says the Safono, that's the Nevoah. When that happens, Ufaratsta. That's when you burst forth with great energy and with great strength. Yiratzon may be the wish of the Almighty that 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 breaking through with great rejuvenation and energy will be the bracha that he bestows upon all of us, upon our soldiers, upon all of our Israel. Protect our soldiers, bring back our hostages, protect you and your families and your communities until that day that Biat Goel Tzedek, when the redemption will be complete, and you'll all rejoin us in the Yeshiva, in Shivat Oraita, in the old city, not far from Makoma Migdash. We await for you with open arms. Amen. I hand it back uh, to Ravadi. Okay, without further ado, I'll turn it over to uh, Rav Davido. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, 
this is an unusual slot to be filling 10 minutes to try to be mechazik. It's um, it's nice to see you, Noah. <laughs> and it's nice to see the names of some of the other chaver here. And I'm sure that people will be able to watch this. Watch this um, hey, Reuven. Sunday. Sunday, our son. This is becoming our Sunday uh, evening routine. Baruch Hashem. Um, I want to just uh, briefly share with you something very hyper-relevant, I think, um, that I've been thinking about a lot, especially over the past few days, even a cloistered uh, rabbinic fellow like myself does get to read the news occasionally. And um, there's there's some news of late about uh, revisiting and people thinking about in very foolish and and um, and aggressive ways revisiting 9-11 and thinking about 9-11. I'm reminded uh, when I was 18 years old, maybe 19, I think I was 18, um, and I was spending a year in Israel. So 9-11, of course, was in 2001. Uh, I graduated from high school in 2002, in the beginning of 2002, and I started my year in Israel uh, that, same, that same year. And 9-11-2002, which was one, a one-year anniversary, from the uh, from the attack on the World Trade Center, on the Twin Towers, um, so I, I had the opportunity to hear a shir in in Reshit where I was attending from Rabbi Mendel Blachman. Rabbi Mendel Blachman was was uh, the the rav of many of the the rabbim in the same way that there's some overlap or some feeling that you know many of your rabbim in Oraita went to Gush. So there's this uh, sense of, especially some of the Marcus brothers who run Rishit, so they they had a very deep relationship with one of their rabbeim from KBY, Rabbi Mendel Blachman. And Rabbi Mendel Blachman is, is a colorful character, is a very uh, well-spoken and, and a huge Talmud Chacham, and someone who I respect very much. R- Rabbi Blachman came on, uh, on 9-11 to speak to us on the, it was like the anniversary, the first year anniversary uh, of the aftermath of this, of this horrible tragedy. And he basically just for an hour, um, as he's able to do, you know, he, he, he basically read a Rambam. And I recall the experience, uh, even like to this day, so viscerally that, and I wasn't, I was by no means the only one, but there was something about uh, the way that he presented this Rambam and I'll try to do it in short. I'm not going to do it for an hour, but I'll, I'll do it for about six minutes that we have remaining. Um, that he presented this, this passage in the Rambam that was so moving, that, that so deeply touched me that I remember uh, the sheer ending and excusing myself out into the hallway and immediately calling my parents and other loved ones to, to sort of just like express how grateful I was to be alive in the world at the same time as them. And it was, it was a really a deeply powerful and deeply moving experience. The Rambam uh, in question, or the Rambam that, that uh, Rav Blachman learned together with us is a Rambam towards the end of the laws of mourning, the laws of Avelis. And uh, on the surface, the Rambam is a, is a deeply is a very heavy uh, sentiment that the Rambam is is saying, and I think the, the heavy sentiment is appropriate for for today as well. Except that the twist that Rav Blachman shared, and that I'll share with you now, I think is something that we should all uh, be carrying around in a way that really helps us hold our heads up high, and um, and really should be mechazik all of us as much as it challenges us and, and sort of demands of us something uh, as well. And the Rambam that I'm talking about is, is the Rambam writes um, that a person who experiences loss um, 
you know, the the loss of, of soldiers, the count keeps rising on a, on a daily, if not weekly basis, the loss of human life uh, on October 7th itself, and, um, and experiences a loss, a loss of innocence. When a person experiences a loss, so the Rambam says that if we don't properly mourn that loss, if we don't allow space to properly eulogize, to give a proper hespid uh, in the aftermath of that loss, so that's an achzariyut. There's a certain um, character trait of, of achzarius, which, which basically means cruelty. It's a certain cruelty. It's a cruelty to ourselves, and it's a cruelty to the world because the Rambam, as he writes in Hilchus Tainios as well, the Rambam thinks that whenever tragedy strikes, whenever something difficult uh, comes and challenges us, it's an opportunity to really reflect inward, not in a causative way to say that, oh, this happened because of that, but it's just an opportunity to sort of the stark reminder of what's important in life and what are the things that are really, uh, that really begging my attention as opposed to the things that I maybe have fallen into a pattern of, of indulgence in a way where I'm not really paying attention to what's the main thing in life. And the Rambam writes the following uh, sort of um, instruction. It, it doesn't feel like a halacha, but it is a halacha. And the Rambam writes that if somebody from a Bnei Chabura, somebody from a group of people, and who amongst us cannot, you know, at least tangentially, if not directly, look to a member of our Chabura who has been touched by this, uh, including ourselves, but obviously, you know, for those of us who are a little further from uh, from the event itself or a little bit further from the action itself, who amongst us who ha- hasn't been to or looked at footage of a funeral or or in some way connected to this tragedy in a way that they can call themselves part of a, a Chabura, that we're all B'nai Chabura of one group of people. And the Ramam says that the laws of mourning dictate that a person, when they're in this state of the tra- the trauma, the shock, the aftermath of this difficulty, so the first three days, this is the, the imagery that the Ram writes, so if somebody from a, from a Chabura of people uh, is nifter, that leaves the world, graduates from this world, so the first three days, they ought to see, uh, they ought to see themselves as if they're sitting in a room where every step of the way, there's, there's, a, there's a sword, there's a, there's an ominous sword that's lying in the in the in the corner, <clears throat> or the first three days is in front of their face, and then after you know the first three days for the remaining seven days of shiva, the cor- the sword is in the corner, and then after the seven days are up, so a person should be walking around, you know, outside with a sense that somewhere out there there is this sword, which uh, you know the sword of tragedy, and what am I doing about it? And that's really what the Rambam is demanding, and that's the, that's the demanding piece uh, of the puzzle. But the way that Rav Blachman sort of spoke about this is that when a person recognizes that they're part of a larger conglomerate, whether it's a small chabura of people like, you know, we're all members of the same yeshiva or, you know, a certain sheer group or you have a group of friends. When a person recognizes that part of the way that Hashem runs the world is that we are all on one boat. We are all on the same ship. And when something happens to one of us, it's really um, a call to all of us. It's really a call to every single one of us. And one of the one of the really big takeaways that I've been being mechazik myself in this entire past number of weeks with is the absolute unprecedented outpouring of taking achrayas as b'nei chabura, of seeing my, my, I mean, 
you know, far be it for me to like take my wife's credit, but my wife just came, literally just came home just now. It's, it's 8.30 with our two boys. She just came from delivering uh, food to a family. The father is just seeing his kids for the first time in five weeks. Um, just to see, she took a, a video of this father, you know, kissing his children and, uh, and, and the amount of things that personally and, and my family and, and my community and our yeshiva and all of the Jewish people are doing in order to expand the ever-increasing circles, you know, the, the, the concentric circles of what it means to be part of a chabura. On the one hand, there's an achrayas, and that's what the Ramam is teaching us, that when something happens to one person from the chabura, there's a certain sense of, oh, this didn't happen to me. A person has to then, has to bring that inside and to say, for the first three days, the sword is right in front of my face. And then for the rest of the remainder of Shiva, the sword is in the corner. And from then on, the sword is out there somewhere. I'm aware of the fact that there's a, there's a, there's a precarious, there's, a, there's a, a tenuous nature to life. But at the same time, the inverse of that is that to the degree that that helps us to strengthen our relationship with the ever-increasing chabura of the Jewish people, that the Jewish people are a large group and that we are potently aware of that. We are viscerally aware of that in a way now that I can speak personally for myself in my short 39 years of life. I have not felt with such with such strength. I think there's a lot of strength that we can draw from that. It, it demands of us a certain amount of care and a certain amount of waking up in the morning and before checking the sports scores, maybe checking what's going on in Eretz Yisrael. And um, and seeing what we can do to make other people's lives that are that are more on the front lines uh, in more ways than one. I'm not just talking about the soldiers on the front lines, and I'll finish in a minute because I see Vinny's here. But in addition to the achrayut, in addition to the responsibility that it it demands of us to to, to be a, a little bit more aware of being a member of this chabura, I think we could be mechazik ourselves by just looking in the mirror and recognizing how much the awakening of the uvda, the fact of the fact that we're part of this large chabura that is called oraita, that is called uh, the Jewish people, you know, in, in these, these, again, these out, going outward concentric circles, I think, and I hope that Hashem is looking at that and is is certainly proud of the fact that the Jewish people are together. And I'm reminded of the, uh, and I'll, I'll truly end with this, I'm reminded of the Medrash that talks about how even if we could look at ourselves in the mirror and we could say that there's what to be desired of the Jewish people, of ourselves, you know, in that, in that space, there's a very important and beautiful medrash that's been, you know, over and over playing on repeat in my head. And, and, and I've heard a number of times other people say as well, that the medrash says that, you know, even when the kings of Israel were idolatrous and there was much to be desired of our religious practice, when we were together and we were taking responsibility for one another, and we were making sure that we spoke kindly and trying to focus on the positive in one another. So then we were successful in our in our battles. Um, and so Hashem should help us that we should continue to be looking out for each other, to expand the Chabur outward, to see what we can do to be a helper, not just to be a person who's spreading uh, worry and anxiety, but a person who could be a helper. And in that way, hopefully to bring a speedy end to this uh, very difficult and trying situation. I'm going to... Uh, I don't know if I need to keep hand, we need to keep handing it back in Taravati, but I, I think if, if Ravini's here, I imagine that Ravini's up next. Yeah. All right. Wow, this is intense. Um, so first of all, for those of you whose name isn't on your Shkayach Rav um, for those of you, I see Ruven Dersovitz, I see Noah Meltzer, 
I see Norm. I don't see Norm Carger, but I see you're there. Ah, uh, the Cornish Rebbe. All right, cool. So uh, if you can, if it's not a hassle for you to put your video on, it's just easy to talk to people. I don't know who Columbia SSI is. I'm assuming it's somebody at Columbia University. And I don't know who Hillel is. Is that a Hillel or in a Hillel somewhere, but whatever. Um, so <clears throat> I'll give you a, a few minutes worth of uh, thought. Shalom Aleichem. Um, Joshua, I know I owe you a schmooze, and Reuven Dersvitz, I owe you a schmooze too. I apologize. We still have to get to it, but we will. Um, so I don't know what other Abayim have said. I'll give you a little food for thought. And really what I want to do is open up the floor to questions, because I think Chizuk comes from talking out what your questions are. But uh, maybe a little bit about what's going on here. Look, I think there's this perception among some that there's a war being fought in Israel. And I actually think that's a, a mistaken perception. I think this war is much, much bigger than that. Um, it happens to be that physically, you know, the more intense fighting on the physical realm may be in Israel, and particularly in the north and on the Gaza border, in Gaza. Uh, but this is a much broader conflict. And I imagine that, you know, boys of your intelligence have figured that out already. I don't even think it's just about the Jewish people and Hamas. I think this is literally a war for civilization. And I, you know... One might have thought that to be an exaggeration some time ago, um, but uh, I don't think that's true anymore. And I imagine, I was in the States for a few days and I managed to meet up with some college students who shared with me some of their challenges and the things that they're nervous about. Um, and I get the sense that there are two things that are on people's minds. You know, obviously besides the obvious of what's going on in Israel, um, and you're worried about Israel and about your friends in Israel and people that are sort of on the front lines because everybody knows somebody. Then there's the worry about what's going on in college campuses um, and where that's going because it doesn't seem to me from my, you know, faraway perspective that it's going to get better. If anything, it seems to me it's going to get worse, but I hope I'm wrong. And then there's the broader question of the Jewish community. And, and I think the instance of everybody on, on online right now the Jewish community in America. Um, so, so let's address all three of those issues briefly, just to give you some chizik over a few minutes, and then we'll open up the floor. First of all, in terms of what's going on in Israel, um, while the initial shock, and everybody talks about how this was an event that is unprecedented, which is not exactly true, but you know, people are comparing it to the Holocaust. I think by now you've figured out that it maybe compares to a certain type of day in the Holocaust. It obviously doesn't compare to the Holocaust because we have State of Israel and Akash Baruch has allowed us to return and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, sort of, we were caught off guard and it was terrifying and what's going to be. That took about two days. After two days, when Israel sort of regained the strategic advantage and took over again the shtachim that were taken by Hamas terrorists, then basically the, the, the map has followed a map uh, that has been prepared for quite some time. Um, and, you know, there are three different wars that are being fought. The war on the ground is being won, and it's being won gradually, and that's healthy. Um, just to give you a, a brief understanding, Israel had a number of strategic goals. The first goal was to separate northern Aza and southern Aza, which they have done effectively. Um, part of that involves creating a corridor that separates them, including blowing up pretty much all the tunnels to depth, which they are doing um, or have done in some cases. 
so the terrorists from the north can't escape to the south via tunnels, which means if they sort of, you know, disguise themselves and, and leave with refugees, they're basically leaving without weapons. Um, the second goal was to create a ring around southern Aza. And then the third goal, which is what they're doing now, is to sort of take southern northern Aza quadrant by quadrant, literally block by block. Um, instead of putting 100,000 troops in Aza and trying to take all of northern Aza at once, without talking about numbers, they've got a significant number of troops that are taking it square block by square block, um, which is a much slower but a much healthier way to do it. They're they're using an enormous amount of interforce directive, which means, you know, units that are sitting on a roof that identify a terrorist, they go through a five to 10 minute process and call in firepower, an enormous amount of firepower to take out terrorists without endangering the soldiers. And that's why despite all the pain, there've been 60 boys plus that we've lost since this started, relative to the expectation and what the world expected and what Israel even was worried about, no loss of a Jewish soldier is, is is acceptable, but it's it's a remarkable achievement, as as strange as that may sound. The goal of the Israeli army is not to take out the terrorists. That'll come later. The goal is to take over territory. If they take over a block of territory and all the terrorists run away and escape, they'll get to them eventually. The first goal is to take over Aza and remove Hamas as an entity, and that they're succeeding in doing. Um, as far as what's going on in college campuses. Do not underestimate the power of what you're doing in this larger conflict. Um, you know, I've been talking to different students, following you guys on emails and WhatsApps and so on and so forth. It can be a little discouraging to be on a campus and to show up and to see a rally of four or 500 people and to realize that you're outnumbered and to understand that the nature of campus has changed, right? I think the question here is what the goal is. You know, it's like many, many years ago, I got very involved in anti-missionary activity for a very short pre period of time. And then I realized you're not going to you're not going to change the mind of, of a missionary. He's he's brainwashed. He's he's bought that punch. And logic has nothing to do with his debates. And I'm happy to have a longer discussion about this in the Q&A if you want. But the goal was never about the missionary. The goal is the person listening to the missionary. So. Who who really is the goal of all this energy to create, you know, the the, the massive rally in, in Washington, counter rallies in, you know, I have, I mean, there are photos from a, a right to alumni holding Israeli flags with these Palestinian rallies in the background and so on and so forth. The goal is not to change the minds of those who are demonstrating. I'm not even sure that the goal is to change the minds of those sort of middle ground people who don't know any better. I think that's actually part of the chizuk that you make for yourselves. And to that end, you don't realize how much chizuk it gives us over here when you do the things that you do. To see a, a, a Jewish student, never mind an Araita boy, standing with a flag in his hand, that's incredible. And, and the third piece, which to me, from your perspective, is the most significant. Look, we just went through Parsha Toldot. Some of you may have heard the Parsha year I gave, but I'll give you a 60-second synopsis. Esav is called the Ish Yodeat Sayyid, the Ish Sadeh. It doesn't just say he's a Sayyad, a hunter. It doesn't just say he's an Ish Sayyid, he's the man of hunt, the hunt. He's a Yodeat Sayyid, he's an expert hunter, right? So if he's an expert hunter, Mistama, he, he, he contributes to society. He puts food on the table. He's the one who provides sustenance for the family and so on and so forth. 
Yaakov, on the other hand, is the Ishtam Yeshev Olim. He just sits in the tent all day. You know, he's the, the Haredi guy sitting in the yeshiva. Doesn't seem like he's doing anything. What? How's he contributing to society? And yet, if you look at Unkelus, and Rav Nevenzel has a magnificent sikhah on this, Unkelus translates the Yodei Atzayid as the Narchistan, which basically, based on Atosos, means the Batlan. Asaf is the one who's a Batlan. He's a guy who wastes his time. He's not accomplishing anything meaningful. So it's very hard to understand why is Asaf the one who's not accomplishing anything? Because Asaf is all about the here and now. Asaf is the Isharega. He doesn't care about the future, and the past doesn't matter to him. He just wants to fulfill whatever need he has now. I'm going to die, so what's the point of all this anyway? Right? He, he, he gets hungry. In fact, he's not even hungry, he's just tired. He's tired of the responsibilities of Allah. He just wants to deal with Allah. So he says to Yaakov, Halitani, now Rashi quotes the Medrash, he opens up his mouth like a camel and just says, Ah, it's all about the now. Yaakov, on the other hand, Yaakov is the Isha Netzach. Yaakov is sitting in the tents of Shem and Ever, and he's developing the philosophy and the theology and the understanding that, that creates eternity. Now, who knows what opinions Esav had, except for what's written in the Torah? We have nothing left of what Esav did in his life. Yaakov, on the other hand, we're still studying the Torah of Yaakov 4,000 years later. So it gets confusing. Understand that Yaakov has to put on the hands of Esav he has to be a little bit of Esav, right? But he still has to remain Yaakov. Even when he becomes Yisrael, he still remains Yaakov. We still use the name Yaakov. When you when you take an M16 or a, or, or a Tavor machine gun and you put on all your gear and you enter Aza, then you're wearing your day Esav. But I want you to understand that if we live in the world of your day Esav and Yaakov has left the oil, the Jewish people cease to exist. And since the world needs the Jewish people, the world has lost something which may cause it to lose everything. Every time a Jew in this war sits down to learn a daf, to study a piece of chumash, to, to daven, understand that that is contributing to this in a way that, that you can't even begin to imagine. You know, I was talking to my son. My son got out for about uh, 20 hours. And uh, I had come back from the States Wednesday. I thought I was going to miss him. Turned out I was I drove to Yishalayim from the airport and I was able to see him for an hour. And he said to me, "This Nava, you know, we, 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 I mean, he's, he's a, he's a Katsina Norev. He's deep, deep, deep in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, it's not easy in the back of your mind knowing that you have a son who's deep in the fighting in Azar and a son-in-law for that matter. Hashem runs the world. You know, it's all good. They'll be fine. But he said to me, like, it's difficult because if there's ever a time in his life that he would want to stand the Navin, you know, slow down, say the Shema, they have no time. They can't do it. Friday night, you're on a mission, whatever it is. You're underneath Shifa Hospital. You're in the middle of Jibalia. You don't have time to stop in Davin. So he's really struggling with that. So I said to him, Alai, don't worry about it. We're davening for you. You don't have to worry about davening. We'll do the davening. You don't have to worry about learning. We'll do the learning. You don't have to worry about Kriyachma. We'll do the Kriyachma. And you know what? You don't have time to put on tefillin. If there was ever an example of Oseik B'mitzvah, Pater Min mitzvah of a person who's so immersed in a mitzvah that he's Pater from doing another mitzvah, this is that case. You, not only do you not have to wear tefillin, you should not be trying to wear tefillin. Because if you're putting on your tefillin and you get caught, you, you don't have time to wear tefillin. I remember what it was like to be in a tank and try to put on tefillin. And you don't have time for that. We'll put on tefillin for you. I understand. And I said to him, I said, listen, there's a thousand or eight alumni. 
There's there's 80 of us sitting in the old city of Yishalayim. I promise you, for every Marav you miss, there's 100 Maravs being offered. For every piece of learning you don't get to do, there's a thousand dopping being learned. This is not some allegory. When you sit down and you learn a piece of Torah, when you sit down and, and you offer up a tefillah, when, when, when you put on your tefillin, when you light your Shabbat candles, understand that is as much a part of this war as, as what the soldiers are doing. I'm not saying they're equal. They're very different. And I'm not saying they earn the same respect. The world doesn't understand that they're the same. But I'm telling you, from the perspective of someone someone who's been through this, take chizuk in the fact that you're contributing. That's what. Why is that your role right now? Because that's what you have the opportunity to do. Do not underestimate the power of that. It is enormous. You know, there are two Iron Dome programs. There's the physical Iron Dome that shoots down missiles, and there's the Jewish Iron Dome. And I'm telling you, without the Jewish Iron Dome, the regular Iron Dome would just disappear. So, so, so take that seriously. Find an extra 5, 10, 15 minutes, an hour, a half an hour, a piece of chumash, a chavruta, a, a, a moment to wear on tefillin, an extra moment when you put in your tzitzes in the morning, and understand that all those little pieces, they add up. And they are what will bring all the boys home, will bring the chatufim home, and will guarantee success in this war. And anybody who struggles with that, shoot me a WhatsApp. I am happy to get on the phone with you.